Good morning. It's it's a pleasure of me and my wife to be with you and uh, to see uh, lovely faces from the past and in the face of all these people that they host us and they had us all around in Orlando all this week. We could see the love and kindness and hospitality of your church and we are very, very thankful. Um, The English that you got there on the video is the best you can get today <laughs> so don't expect something more i'll do my best and uh joe there, there is another joe there is a better slogan that i found recently on a wall that says uh clean walls dirty corrupted consciousness yeah so it's even better yeah <laughs> it was very nice which yeah um uh so we're gonna look today As you can see on uh, your bulletin, on your flyer, we're going to look on uh, the book of Jonah, chapter 4, and I invite you to open your Bibles in uh, the book of Jonah, chapter 4. It's going to be here on the screen, I believe so too. And we're going to read the whole chapter, it's not very long. Please read, read with me uh, God's words. Uh, Jonah. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. For I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat, he sat under it and in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plan and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. But when dawn came out upon the, the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it had to wither it. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sand beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left and also much cattle. The book of Jonah stands probably as the book of missions in the Old Testament, as the book for missions in the Old Testament. I mean, if you look at it, it has all the elements. Someone is said to a foreign country to bring the message of a following judgment, and the result of it is people change. You really can't miss it. The book's topic is missions. In a Sunday like this one, a Sunday of missions, we are all gathered together in order to be reminded and be inspired once again about God's call for missions. 
we are all gathered in order to talk, pray, and envision how God will reach out and change the world through us, through his church. And this is missions. But if we are honest with ourselves, there is something really strange with the book of Jonah. And this is that if there is someone in the whole story that needs to change, that's Jonah himself, the prophet of God. Of course, the people of Nineveh do repent, but still it seems that the whole story, the whole story of this mission trip is not so much focused on the people of Nineveh and their change, but on Jonah and his need to change. In a nutshell, Nineveh becomes the place where the prophet of God changes. And that's the message of the book of Jonah. Mission before and above all changes us. Nineveh and the whole trip, the whole adventure experience to Nineveh becomes an experience where the people of God really change. And I don't know about you, but I really found this idea interesting. All this week, I'm visiting uh, Orlando and Orangewood, and everybody is keep asking me, uh, how does everything go in Exarchia? That's the area where we do the judgment. Uh, do you see any change lately into people's acceptance of the gospel? And please don't get me wrong, uh, these are good questions. But what I want us to do today is stop for a minute asking ourselves how the world will change and how we are going to change the world, and instead ask ourselves, how much have we changed through this whole experience? And please don't be confused. We are still talking about missions. If Jonah, the book of missions in the Old Testament, deals with these questions before and above everything else, then we better ask ourselves these questions before we start thinking how much the world has changed or will be changed. And this is what I want to see together today. How mission changes us. And I want to see three things that are happening to us through missions. First one, mission changes our view of the city and its people. Secondly, mission changes our priorities living within the cities. And thirdly and lastly, mission changes our understanding of the gospel for even ourselves. So it changes the view of our, our view of the city, it changes our priority, and it reminds us the gospel, and this experience really changes us. Now, if you have you read the whole book, uh, chapter 4 does not simply conclude Jonah's story. It actually functions as an explanation for the whole story. It's really like these movies that, you know, you have the last scenes, five, ten minutes, that you are keep holding yourself and asking what's going on in this movie. You know, they have these last scenes that they make you to go back, you know, interpret the whole thing. In chapter 4, the author tells us, don't be confused with Jonah's repentance. In chapter 2, yeah, you remember? Jonah has not dealt with his issue. He thinks he has, but he has not. There is something deeper that makes Jonah to react in this way, and God wants to expose it. So what's the problem with Jonah? With simple words, the problem of Jonah is that he does not understand God's heart and love for the people of Nineveh. He thinks of Nineveh, he considers of Nineveh, he's there now, almost just get out of it, and cannot find any good reason or any good thing that makes, that will make him, and above all, will make God to find something good within Nineveh. Key to chapter 4 is this strange story of the plant and the worm uh, that ate this plant. 
we are sorry for our days, yeah? Uh, for many people, the whole story of the plant and the worm is seen as an attempt of God to tell to Jonah, you know, there is really a problem if you cry just for a plant uh, and uh, you cannot cry for a whole city. Or for others, they interpret this whole story and they say the problem and what God is trying to tell him is that if you are sad over a plant, a dead plant, that's okay, keep it for you. But do you allow me to be sad for the death of a whole city? Me, just the creator, the God? But I think that there is something more profound in what God is trying to communicate to Jonah through the whole incident. You see, God does not simply come to Jonah to give him a lesson of math, you know, one plus one equals two, in order to convince him for the importance of Nineveh. God is trying to communicate his heart for Nineveh. Just think for a moment, yeah? The plan for Jonah was really a relief. And we read, uh, we read that this was the purpose for God appointing its growth. To save Jonah from his discomfort. Read with me in verse 6. God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And we can all imagine what a relief would have been for Jonah, this plant, yeah, in the, in the midst of the desert. The author of the book actually tells us that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And later when God takes off this luxury, we read that Jonah was fade and he wanted to die. The plant was a relief to Jonah. It made him glad. Now, do you see what God is trying to say to Jonah when he compares the experience of the plant with Nineveh? He's saying to Jonah that your runaway and your attitude towards my call to go to Nineveh was actually stealing my said. The people of Nineveh are my said. They are my comfort. This is what God is saying. He's not simply saying that, as God, you know, I have the right to pity any country, any city that I want, and this time I pity on Nineveh. He says that Nineveh is my seed. I take comfort in them. This is what are you trying to take, to take away from me? He actually says to Jonah that the feeling of relief that you felt by the presence of this plant is the exact feeling that people of Nineveh offer to me. And I know that in the most of the times that you hear the sermon preached on Jonah chapter 4, everybody focuses on the amazing ending, yeah? Where God explains and he gives reason of how important is the city. It has 120,000 uh, people and it has cattle, which means economy, money. But my brothers and my sister, God is trying to give something more than good arguments. And I hope that whenever we read the number of 120,000 people, we see something more than a number. I hope that we see God's love for the people, 120,000 people. It's not just a number. I remember when I started working as an intern uh, back to our church in Athens, the senior pastor of the mother church, you saw him, Yotis, he's a passionate man, yeah, was describing to me, his experience getting into the subway system, and it was really helpful for me, you know, those uh, back years, you know, seven years back. And he said, I got into the wagon of a train, and it was packed with people, a mess. Everybody, you know, was uh, pushing each other. They were trying to make it out of the door. There was a whole mess. And in the midst of this, 
I paused, he said, for a moment. And I said to myself, people. I mean a wagon full of people. That's the city. What a blessing. Do you see what God is trying to communicate? People. 120,000 people and cattle. Nineveh is my seed. You know, the question for all of us. What do you see in your city? What is your opinion for the city? Do you see it just as a wagon full with people that makes you to want and to escape or run away from the city as soon as possible? Or do you see people and this gives you goosebumps? We sometimes focus so much in the evil of our city and our generation that we forget how to love our city. We find our cities spiritually ugly, full of wicked people. We keep emphasizing the decade of our cities and we are unceasingly surprised and scandalized with the sinfulness of the people. Parenthesis. That's a Greek word. Parenthesis, yeah? yeah? Did you remember in the whole four gospel, you have Jesus working among people. Do you remember just one time, just a little time, that he was scandalized by the sinfulness of people? None. He was only scandalized by the hypocrisy of people and not by the sinfulness of people. Do you see now why God is using this experience in order to shake up Jonah? God wants Jonah to understand where his heart is. Through missions, God changes our appreciation of the city and its people by adjusting a heartbeat to the way that his heart beats for the city and the people. Look how interestingly, uh, at the beginning of the, of the book, the author offers God's view for Nineveh. And he says that that is a great city, but its evil has come up to God's eye. Exceedingly evil, yeah? That's the opinion of God. But this is one side of the story. Eh? That's the very beginning. Here at the end of the book is given to us another view of the same God, of the same city. It is Nineveh, the great city, with more than 120,000 people and cattle. It is exceedingly good in God's eyes. He takes pleasure in that city. And I think this is the question for us today. What do you think of your city? How do you find this world? Is it just only a place exceedingly evil or it is also exceedingly beautiful? Do you become passionate for God's despise for citizens of your city or passionate for God's love for your city? When we got to Exarchia and we, start the, we started the groundwork at the same time within the neighborhood, an evangelical international church started using a building within Exarchia for the services. After a few months that we uh, went back to, to Exarchia, I found out the, tit- the title of the first sermon that was given at the very first service of that church. And the title was Living at the Edge of Hell, referring to Exarchia as the Edge of Hell. I hope that everybody agrees it's not a good title for a sermon to start. And uh, <laughs> mission changes is much better, yeah? And let's be honest. This is the view that the church holds for the world. This might be the view that you have for the city and your nation today. You may wake up every morning in Orlando, U.S. and live within the city. And instead of seeing the goodness of this city and understanding a God that loves this city, that is packed with people, you see A city exceedingly evil that you can't stand. You are ready to take the next boat to Tarsis to leave from here. 
It might be difficult to stand it, to stand it, brothers and sisters. But for God, the people of Overlando are his aid and his comfort. And please, don't do anything to steal it from him. If the people of Nineveh, a city that its evil made God wanting to destroy her, was like a shade to God, then imagine how much he cares and loves your city and my city. When we first moved to Exarchia, we had to learn to love our neighborhood again. We realized that all these years of our absence from this neighborhood, God was still sending his rain and he was raising up his son for the people of Exarchia. And he felt that he was worthy taking care of these people. And we are taking, we're talking about an area that is called in Exarchia and in Greece, the no man's land area. is the area that you don't, don't dare to step into. The police even does not step into. It comes only the SWAT teams, you know, with seals as you saw in helmets. Even if you go to the American embassy website in Greece, you will be advised that it's suggested to American citizens to not visit Exarchia. And that's the request. Please come to Exarchia. <laughs> now imagine a church where in the midst of all the rumors about Exarchia as the no man's land, instead of cursing Exarchia, it blesses them. So mission changes our view of this world and brings us back to God's perspective of this world. But this is not the only thing that does to us. Mission changes our priorities. There is something positive happening, you know, in the, pro in the process and the development of the story in chapter 4. For the very first time, we have Jonah doing what? Smiling, you know, he's laughing for something. He has a smile on his face. Now, the weird thing is that he's not happy with the successfulness of his preaching. And he's neither, of course, happy with the fact that Nineveh won't be destroyed. In contrast, both of them, it seems to make him exceedingly angry. Jonah is happy because of a plan. And we saw again and again, he is happy because he feels comfortable under the shade of this plan. And we may ask ourselves, is it bad to be happy with the comforts of life? Is it bad to be happy and enjoy our lives? And of course, the question is obvious. There is nothing bad with, bad with enjoying your life and God's providence. It's God's gifts. But you see, the problem with Jonah is that he cannot be happy anymore for the same things that God is happy. And it's not just that he's indifferent to them. In contrast, he's very angry and sad with the things that makes God to be happy. And just think for a moment what we've got here. A whole city has responded to God's word through the mouth of his prophet. The great city of Nineveh is literally on their knees hoping for God's mercy upon them. Do you understand what's going on here? We have a revival, a real revival within the city. And in the midst of this revival, we see Jonah doing what? Read with me verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, the said, till he should see what will become of the city. Jonah, in the midst of this revival, goes out of the city trying to find comfort. He abandons a city that goes through a revival. He cannot stand the celebration of repentance and forgiveness that is about to start. Now, does this picture remind you of someone out of a city, standing over there, out of the celebration, maybe better, very angry about what's going on within? 
Do you remember the big brother of the parable of the prodigal son? When he found out about the youngest son return and the acceptance that he received from the father, we read, we read there that the older brother became angry and refused to go in. That's what's going on with Jonah. We found him right at the moment that stands away from the celebration and the party that has been set up for the return of the people of Nineveh. And he is out of this party because he cannot stand it. He still hopes that there might be, you know, a minority, you know, something, a change that they will be destroyed. He cannot find any pleasure in it. He cannot find any pleasure because like the big brother of the parable, the priorities in his life have changed. Do you remember at the end of the day, the only thing that the big brother cared about was the property of the father, the expensive clothes and the fattened calf. He's angry for these things and he cannot rejoice for the return of his brothers, of his brother. And sometimes the obstacles that prevent us, believe me, to be happy with what God is happy are not just comforts of life, are not secular things only, but even innocent things like the work within the church. The big brother of the parable misses the whole scene of the return of the youngest and the reason is because he is out in the fields working for his father. You see, something good. He's working on something good. The big brother totally lost within the, word of the, within the work of the fields of his father. He has totally forgot his brother. And even when he returns back, the fields and the work and the house of his father are more important than his brother. And this is the problem, brothers and sisters, with the comforts of our lives and the work even within the church. They make us forget to be happy with the things that make God to be happy. We have totally forgot how it looks to have a new convert within our church. We have forgotten the joy of heavens when a person returns to Christ. And the problem is that we don't even understand, we don't even realize it. Like Jonah, we stare at our plan and all the blessings that God has provided us and we feel that God is taking really good care of us. We are fine. We are sitting in our booths. God is blessing us. Or look what is happening in our church, all our efforts, our work within the church. And we are convinced that we are dealing with the important things of the kingdom. What makes the kingdom to have party? We feel successful with running a church, but still we have forgotten Nineveh. We have forgotten the youngest brother who, like the king of Nineveh, wonders, who knows? Maybe God the Father will see our repentance and he will relent from his judgment. And we are not out there to tell him, that's true, come. You know, you need to come back. And please trust me, we are totally confused. Very deep within us, God really needs to work deep within our hearts. Yesterday I was asked to tell some of the obstacles in church planting. And to be honest, the real answer, the biggest obstacle in evangelism and church planting is ourselves. Our tendency to return to a comfort zone back in 2004 before we even met Joe. To care for the things within the church. To start serving our needs and run a church, you know, from us to us. A couple weeks ago, we were eating lunch with my wife, Filiana. You can meet her. She's, uh, she's cooking as, as uh, very good as she's beautiful. And uh, 
It was a quick, it was a week that we had almost every day someone to eat with, the, with us in our house. And we were about to have 25 people coming in our house the Sunday of that week. As we were eating, Ileana asked me with good intentions, Alex, do you remember what you said back on the days of the, of our premarital counseling? When the counselor asked you, what is your dream of having a family and having a house? You answered that the dream of your life was to return back home every day from the work and bang the door behind you and leave everything else outside. Alex, has this changed? You don't want this anymore? I was scared. I paused. Literally, I stopped eating. I started thinking and I answered, yes, you're right. It has changed. I have changed. But you see, I couldn't realize it up to that moment that there was a problem of, wow, what was making me happy. Do you see what Nineveh does to you? It changes you. It changes your priorities. The dream of my life was simply to return back home, bang the door behind me, and leave anything outside, just relaxing. This is how I thought that my life should look like. And this is the question for all of us. What is the dream of your life? What are the things that make you happy? Have we forgotten altogether how it is to be happy with someone returning to Christ? During that week in our house, in God's grace, we had a non-Christian fellow that, had, that has cancer. And he was taking the initiative to start talking to both me and Ileana for all his fears. And how he battles even with God as he prays to him and he is so angry with him. Another no-Christian at the same week was struggling to understand Christianity because he could not understand how can you be a Christian since nobody can live like Christ. You have the chance to share the gospel with him. Since then, he's coming to our church. Later on, on the same week, a Christian, a young guy, was taking the decision right at the table to give his life full-time to missions or church planting. What makes you happy? How do you see your house and all the blessings of God? Do they simply make you happy when all things go well and angry when you lose them because that's your life? Do you see them as, or do you see them as means to experience the most amazing pleasure according to the Bible on earth, which is what? Seeing someone returning home to Christ. Are we ready to open our houses? Mission changes us. Very quickly to the last point, mission changes our view of the world, mission changes our priority. We start to be happy again with what makes God to be happy. But there is one more thing, something very important. Look something very interesting that is happening in chapter 4 in verse 2. Jonah, there he explained to us the reasons why he ran away. Look with me what he says. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you hear what Jonah says? Or to put it better, uh, do you understand what he's really saying over here? I hope that you find something really strange in these words of his prayer. Jonah declares that his problem is God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. In other words, Jonah has problem with the gospel itself. He can't stand the gospel. The message of the gospel is what makes Jonah flee to Tarsus. And we are reading the story and are asking ourselves, what's really going wrong with this guy, you know? He has, he's totally going against the gospel. You see, away from Nineveh, 
away from this edge of hell. You don't just run away from Nineveh and people. You're starting slowly, slowly to run away from the message of gospel. Away from Nineveh, you start to forget the gospel. You forget how God is touching people's heart. You forget how he touches you. You start to forget that it was the gospel, the message of the gospel that brought you into a relationship with God. It was God's mercy, God's love, and, God's, that he, and, and the fact that God is slow to anchor. And believe me, this is the reason why we stop to love our cities in the way that God loves the city. This is the reason why we can't stand its evil. We have forgotten the gospel. We have forgotten our evil and God's mercy and love that, that he offered to us. When you stop seeing the gospel working in people's lives, you start to forget the gospel for yourself. Look how the, the author tries to communicate it twice within the book very quickly. The first one, uh, he parallels, what he does is he parallels what's happening to Jonah with the rest of the people in Nineveh or to whoever he came in contact. And the very, very first instance that you see this parallel between the non-believers and Jonah is when the sailors wake him up and he tells, he, they ask him who you are. And he says, I'm an Israelite who fears the Lord of heavens and earth. Then immediately we read that the sailors were afraid. And the author uses the exact word. You know, it was the fear of Jonah and it was the fear of the people, of the sailors. Do you see the forgetting of the gospel from God's love back to God's fear? This is Jonah religion, a relationship based on the fear of God. You have to fear God. When I'm doing things right, I have gained God's love. But when I'm evil, I deserve God's judgment. The second time is in this chapter that he parallels Jonah with Ninevites. Yeah? The word that he has, the author chooses in order to describe Jonah's anger is the same Hebrew word that he's using earlier in order to describe what? The evil that it was within the Ninevites. So Jonah, he became, at the end of the book, the same evil, he was angry, it's the same word, that it was the same evil that came up to God's eyes, and he wanted to bring judgment. Jonah has forgotten the gospel. Do you see the run away from the gospel? Take away God's grace, and suddenly Jonah is the same evil. He does not believe anymore in the gospel. And this is the main problem that does not allow him to be joyful with the repentance of the wicked people of Nineveh. He starts to believe in a God that justifies the righteous and condemns the wicked. And of course, Jonah hears the righteous and they are the wicked. He believes that he does everything right. He feels that God is obligated to be gracious and merciful to him. Now, of course, there is something funny, funny if you really read carefully the whole story. You will find out that if there is someone who does everything wrong, that's Jonah. And it's funny because everybody else within the story does pretty much everything well. The sailors pray to God. The fish obeys to God. The people from Nineveh cry out to God. Even a worm obeys to God. And there is something really ironic at the very end of the story. Read with me last verse and we're getting close to finish. Should I know Pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left. Do you get the irony? According to this verse, it is supposed that the Ninevites are the ones who cannot 
separate the right hand from the left hand. Yeah? But in the whole story, it is Jonah that acts as the one who cannot really separate his right hand from the left. Do you see what God is trying to tell to Jonah? You need to be reminded of the gospel. You really need to go back to the beginning, way back to the beginning, back to the very first time that you met me. You need to go back to the moment that you recognize that you couldn't really separate your right hand from your left. You need to be reminded that God gives his love and mercy to those people that don't hold anything of themselves for their justification. We usually say that the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, but it is the A to Z. This is what God is trying to communicate to Jonah. He reminds him the message of the gospel, which is nothing else than God offering his love to people who cannot separate the right hand from the left. And this is today what the word of God is trying to remind to all of us. The message of the gospel. And please don't be confused. We are still talking about missions. Missions remind us of the gospel. We see it happening again and again in people's hearts. And that's a fair question. Do you remember the gospel? Do you remember that very first time that you felt that you couldn't even separate between your right and your left hand? But God did impress you with his love. The gospel is the only reason for missions. Christ himself is the only reason for missions. It is the very story of another prophet years later, the last prophet of all, it is Jesus Christ himself. Who in contrast with Jonah, he had any right to be totally angry for people's sinfulness. But instead of getting out of the city in order to see the destruction of humanity, we see him dragged out, to the city, out of the city in order to die for us. Do you remember, do you remember Jonah's last words? It is better for me to die than to live. Christ, in the, in the Gospel of John, he is the one that assures his disciples that it is better for them, he to die, than to live. One last really thing. And I hope that this will proclaim the Gospel back in our hearts. The book of Jonah and the book of Naum, uh, both of them actually are dealing with Nineveh, are the only books of the Bible that end up with a question. And the question in the book of Jonah is, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left? And the question is left with no answer in the whole book of, in the whole Old Testament. Until one day, that day, when Christ on the cross gave the answer to that very question, crying out, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Of course, and you should be in Nineveh, that great city where it's citizens who, there are citizens who do not know to recognize and separate the right hand from the left hand. The trip to Nineveh, living in Exarchia and everywhere else in the world, becomes the means through which God changes us. As we are reminded of the gospel, as we see it working again in people's hearts. And my prayer for all of us is that the message of the gospel will break through so much deeply within our hearts that we will bring us back to our cities with love for the people and for our cities. And it will remind us how to take pleasure 
with the repentance of a sinner and set a whole celebration for each one of them. In Exarchia, every Sunday, this is what we're saying to people. This is the gathering that we celebrate the return of sinners back to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this love of this world. We are amazed by the fact that you, don't, you did not only love us, that sometimes we forget the gospel and we think that you found something beautiful in us. But watching on the world, we remembered how we were when you met us and how great change you have done in our lives. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you were gracious, loving, and slow to anger. Make us to be happy with what makes you happy. Let us see the comfort that you find in looking to people within our cities and waiting for the repentance. Really pray in your name. Amen.